Hello, and welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I'm Stella, and we are recording live on Instagram as well as recording the podcast, which you can find on all your podcast serving potential things. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's kind of great to be able to recognize that um, I've been getting feedback lately that people are sharing it and people are really enjoying what I'm putting out. So that's helpful. It makes me want to continue working on that. Um, so I was saying that we take for granted the things that we see every day and certainly getting out of your environment and looking at a different place or, or exploring new, new parts of where you are, um, is a really good way of orienting yourself and grounding. Um, so I did post an essay earlier this week on my hundred days. So on the 13th, I have been traveling for a hundred days now, which seems insane if you think about it. A hundred days is a third of a year, <laughs> a little bit less than a third. Um, but I left Albuquerque on uh, August 1st and uh, and I've been traveling since then. So I was able to reflect on kind of the things that I have been experiencing and learning and, and um, processing through this whole experience. And uh, so one of the things that I had commented on, and certainly on the on the essay, I wrote about how loneliness is hard uh, and it has been super challenging, but I've gotten into a rhythm of really appreciating um, myself in a different way. And so that has been lovely. And then when I get people like, you know, visitors or, you know, have interacted with other humans, it makes me also really grateful for that. Um, and so I've had the pleasure of having, you know, a few friends come and my sister to come and stay with me. And, um, you know, and then they leave and there's this period of like grief and it takes a while. Um, one of the things that, you know, my, my most recent friend who was here had talked about was, you know, and I talked about it last time in terms of loving better is there's this interdependence, right? There's this sharing of energy. And when you pull away and certainly, you know, going as far away from each other as we have, it took a while to reorient our own energy because there was such a, a really healthy, um, good symbiosis of connection. And we really enjoyed that time of, you know, processing and problem solving and, you know, laughing. We laughed so much. And I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate when I have other people in my space is, and my clients can attest to this, it's a, it's a fun time, even though it's therapy. Um, there was a therapist who worked across the hall from me when I worked in agency and, um, his clients would always comment like, I want to go to therapy there because apparently it's hilarious. Um, and part of that is that, you know, even though we're processing really difficult and challenging things, there's always something to, you know, find funny. Um, and I really love to kind of elicit that response from people um, because it, it, I love to laugh. Like I, there's an endorphin rush that I get. And so when I'm with other people, you know, I tell a funny story or like they tell a funny story or we find humor in, you know, the challenges and the tragedy and the grief and the sadness and the depression, and the anxiety, whatever. Um, but with that endorphin rush, you're able to kind of see outside of the depression or the grief or the anxiety or whatever it is for a moment. And my whole goal in therapy was to kind of shift the perspective because oftentimes we get mired down in those really hard feelings because they're all that we see all the time. And so 
when you're with another person or in a different environment, you can shift the perspective from that place to a different place. And it was really my pleasure to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I really enjoy laughing. And so being alone has been a little challenging because I'm not as funny by myself. Um, obviously funny things happen and I, I enjoy that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do observe the world looking for the humor or the bright side. It can, I can imagine can be exhausting sometimes um, for people who maybe don't live there. But um, and there is such a thing as like toxic positivity and only seeing the bright side. And, and that's certainly not what I do because I can definitely get down in the dark in the dark and the dirt with everybody else. But, um, you know, my, my goal is to elevate or to bring a, a lighter and more levity to a situation. So there's that. Um, but certainly recognizing like I miss parts of home um, in the fall in New Mexico, you smell green chili and the light, the leaves turn, you know, this beautiful golden on the bosque. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like the fall in New Mexico is one of my favorite things, one of my favorite seasons, one of my favorite times. And so I really miss that. Like I long for it. Um, but I know that I'll see it again. And so fall here is very different because even though like the leaves fall off the trees and all the things like the ground and the grass is still really, really green and vibrant and gorgeous. So I'm grateful for that. Um, and what I wanted to talk about today, aside from the hundred days, which again is still, I'm marveling at the, um, great fortune I have had to have a hundred days. Um, and, you know, looking forward to the next hundred days, there have been so many, um, big and little and challenging things that have happened along the way. Um, and I just keep going, uh, not because it's easy and I'm disregarding that, but because that's kind of what I do is I pivot with the changes pretty easily. Um, there have been some that ooh, have been super challenging. Um, obviously, the lost bag is a thing. Uh, finally did get an email from someone at the airline who acknowledged that I existed, which was helpful. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking about it as I was writing the essay and like from the very beginning, <laughs> there have been, you know, roadblocks and detours and side things. I don't know that I mentioned this, but I flew from Albuquerque to Chicago and I spent the night in Chicago and then I flew from Chicago to Athens. Um, I travel a lot. I stay in a lot of hotels. Like that's totally normal. There was a fire alarm at like 530 in the morning in Chicago. <laughs> My flight from um, Albuquerque to Chicago was canceled day of. Um, and so it just, there was a lot of pivoting and, you know, I work around it. I continue to, to move forward. And so um, that was one of the things that I kind of mentioned is this trip has definitely taught me to not give up in a different way. Like the, the resilience that I have or the ability to pivot or shift or change or roll with it. Uh, that skill has gotten a lot stronger since I have been doing this now for as long as I have. So there's that water. Mm. But as I was thinking about this morning, what I wanted to talk about was um, kind of self-worth and deserving. Um, and one of the things that happens with codependency specifically, and um, so one of the things that I'm all over a little bit, sorry, um, one of the things that prompted that is I just finished reading uh, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delilah Owens, an amazing book if you have the opportunity to read it. 
I read a lot, um, especially when I'm working out or I go for a run. And so uh, I was listening to it in Athens and then um, I finished it uh, yesterday. And it's an amazing book uh, about a girl who lives in the marsh and uh, she's ostracized by the community um, without giving it away. Like she's, she's, she basically raised herself since she was little. And uh, so she didn't have that kind of mirror neuron validating experience to create attachment in a healthy way. Um, and then because she was odd and she was living on her own and, you know, kind of feral, she didn't really have um, models of how to behave in a community. She had like maybe four people who saw her regularly and, um, and took care of her. But for the most part, she took care of herself. And in the story, you know, she, she, especially at the end, she talks about how she just wanted to be left alone. She didn't really want to fit in because she knew that she couldn't. And, you know, part of codependency and growing up in a way that uh, doesn't validate you consistently creates this narrative or that voice in your head that says you're not worthy. You're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of anything good. And certainly with abuse, that that voice gets louder and, and it's bigger. And then it goes on to create um, and perpetuate that thought, right? So uh, one of the other things that, you know, I pay attention to because I have to be on social media for content and all the things is uh, there's a woman who is also a therapist, I believe, and I will share it um, in my story. Uh, but she was speaking from the parent perspective to a child who is six. And obviously the woman is doing both voices in both parts of herself. Um, but the mother was talking about how, you know, she's just a terrible mother and she doesn't feel good. And so she's going to really seek out validation from this six-year-old child. And, you know, the six-year-old is like, I'm just six and I don't know how to do that for you. Um, and what it, what she talks about, so she talks about kind of the inner dialogue of the mom's voice of feeling, you know, not worthy or not good enough or whatever. And then the little girl is kind of absorbing that, right? And so that's our first experience of that mirror neuron and, and uh, mirroring of behavior is the adults that we're interacting with when we're little. Um, and that's our first exposure experience to creating attachment and creating that feeling of worth and value within ourselves. And so once we leave home, you know, go to school, have those experiences and exposure to other humans, we've already got that narrative starting of our worth and value. And if at home we're not getting that consistently, that we are worthy, we are valuable, we are getting our needs met, we are, you know, loved then we go out into the world kind of already having that narrative playing. And so what it can create is this pursuit of validation through a lot of different things. In uh, one of my essays of like how it kind of started for me, like I was really good academically. And so adults would, you know, validate my worth by giving me good grades or, you know, writing things on my papers or whatever. Um, and so there was that kind of message that was happening, which was counteracting what was going on at home. And again, my parents loved me the best they could. They were not terrible monsters. They just were humans having a human experience. But those two conflicting messages 
continue to play out, right? And the I talk a lot, especially when it comes to anxiety about the asshole in your head, and some of us have multiple assholes in our head, but um, that voice of worth and value continues to get stronger based on our experience, based on our interaction with other humans. And so to go back to uh, where the crawdad sings, like she went to school one day, um, I think like truancy officers came to get her and, you know, she'd never really had an adult parent to kind of get her ready for school or prepare her for what that was like. And so she did not fit in. And so when you don't fit in, um, you know, even in a kindergarten or school environment, you're not going to feel valuable or worthy. And so it was really interesting. She only went the one day, they ridiculed her, made fun of her, called her names. She never went back. Um, so some of us continue to go to school. And if you don't fit in kind of right away, at least with one or two other kids, like you're going to be ostracized. Um, and so it's really kind of a shitty situation that we are so social by nature that we long to have connection and we do anything we can to have that, again, to feel validated, to feel worthy, to feel valuable, to feel deserving of our place at the table, whatever table that is, be it the lunch table or, you know, we're all coloring together, whatever it is. And if you don't internally feel that way, then that continues to create that voice in your head that says you're not good enough. And the side effect of that is then you're trying to either do everything possible to be good enough, or some people internalize, fuck it, I'm not going to be good enough, so I will just, you know, rail against whatever is happening, um, either at home or at school, on the playground, whatever it is. But that pursuit of perfection uh, can be a little insidious because we're always trying to seek out something and the goalpost keeps moving, right? Um, and some of us, you know, are are good at completing tasks and getting things done and still not feeling good enough. Um, because again, for me at home, it was, you know, I'd clean the house, I'd make sure the kids had what they needed, you know, I'd make food, all the things. And, you know, my mom, from her own place of not feeling worthy and valuable, was my first bully, if you will. Um, you know, and then you go to school and, and you know, there's that phrase of hurt people hurt people. So, if you're, you know, not feeling great about yourself, you're going to kick that down and make someone else feel not worthy. Um, one of the things that I kind of noticed, especially in the two countries that I've been in now, is uh, Greece has an amazing uh, history of resilience because it's been occupied so many times by all of these different um, entities or, or countries that have come in and taken over and, you know, kind of changed the government and done all the things. Um, and Ireland has the same thing. And especially where I am now in Northern Ireland, I, I didn't know enough about the history. And so I was talking to uh, the Airbnb host and he was telling me a little bit about it. Um, and he was talking about, you know, this history of oppression. Uh, and I'm going to mess this up because I don't know all the things. But that history of oppression and that feeling of not being worthy or valuable. Um, and, you know, in Northern Ireland specifically, it's about religion uh, or it was. And in Greece, it was about just whoever was occupying um, at the time. And Greece has this tremendous history of being, you know, the birthplace of a lot of different things, including philosophy, uh, but they were not a warring people. So that was part of why they were taken over, over and over and over. Um, but I think about that in terms of resilience, because one of the things that I have really loved 
watching the communities and the people in these different countries are they have this tenacity to continue to rebuild and grow and you know preserve their history, their identity, their culture. Um, I definitely see that here. And in Greece, it was really interesting because they were like, we're all Greek, but where we are from is how we identify ourselves. And so I think about that in terms of like my clients and people that I interact with is, you know, we're all human, we're all dying for this connection, but how I identify is based on where I started. And so that voice, that asshole in your head, whatever it is, that's what defines for you internally what you are worthy and deserving of. If you did not get a message consistently that you are deserving and valuable and worthy of love just by existing, then you're going to try to do all these extra things to get it, even just to feel like you have a place. And it's it's really kind of shitty because oftentimes, you know, there's not any one person that can do that. And so if you're not getting it at home and then you leave home and you go to school and you're not getting it there. Um, I was thinking this morning as I was on my run, um, I went to a very small um, Catholic middle school and uh, there was like one sixth grade, one eighth grade, and one, I think there were like two fourth grades. Anyway, small, small community, like maybe 30 kids in a classroom, um, maybe. And sixth, seventh, and eighth, I was there. There was one girl that just did not fit in um, for a lot of reasons. And um, so there was like the hierarchy, like there always is, of, you know, like the popular kids who are just pretty and look all the ways. Uh, then the like middle kids, the weirdos, I was one of those. Um, and then this one girl. There were a couple of them. And as they came in, maybe they were new. And so they weren't already established in the community. Um, but they had this feeling, this uh, behavior, and, and you can imagine that in every school they ever went to, that was kind of an odd thing. Uh, the school that I went to was close to the base, uh, Kirtland Air Force Base. So we'd get a lot of kids that were transfers. Um, and so you'd have to really work to create or fit into the hierarchy. But I remember middle school being really awful, mostly because there's that need to connect or that need to be part of a community and if you weren't in and you didn't have you know some kind of gimmicky way to get in you're fucked basically um and so that plays in your head and and that can i imagine middle school is awful it really is um high school is a little bit better just because it's a little bit bigger and more diverse but i think about these small communities especially here in ireland um and where I am, and you've gone to the same school with the same people your whole life, and then you stay in the community and, you know, you're kind of established. There's about 100,000 people here in the community that I'm in. Um, but, you know, you kind of all know each other. And, and certainly at home, we had our own communities of, you know, Albuquerque, San Fabry, Rancho, um, Blend, like all those places. And so if you grew up in a tiny community, like everybody knows each other, everybody knows everybody's business, everybody has already established who you are. And then you have internalized what your worth and value is based on that. It's kind of a shitty situation because that voice in your head of I'm not worthy then will lead you to figuring out what you deserve, right? The deserving piece is also pretty challenging because then you will, and I've talked about it before for myself, I will settle for whatever happens or whatever crumbs I'm getting or whatever you know situation it is 
and I will make the best of it because it was better than the last situation. Um, and that's, that's really tough because when you don't feel like you are worth very much, then you don't deserve very much. And so you'll take very little. Um, and it's interesting because you can go out of a really shitty situation to a less shitty situation and be like, okay, well, this is better. Um, and you know, the voice in your head is telling you, this is, this is the best it's going to get as good as it is. Um, and so most people will just kind of stay there, maybe move from one relationship to another, you know, kind of picking the same partner with a different name. Uh, and, and usually it's a reflection of what you've grown up with. Right. And so it's a very challenging system to work past the asshole in your head, how you fit in the system that you came from, and then fitting in a larger community with the narrative that you don't have any value or worth. And some of us will do anything possible just to get the bare minimum, um, or we'll do all the things and not be able to hold on to or receive that we have done really amazing things. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot about the people that have come to my office and we talk a lot about the treatment that you deserve. Um, I had a client years and years ago. I only saw her for maybe 10 sessions and then, you know, life circumstances, things changed. It's very common for me to be able to just kind of let go of a, a client because I'm not attached to the outcome. I'm attached to the moment. Um, but anyway, she came back about seven years later and she said, one of the things that you told me that stuck in my head was that I am worthy of healthy love. And I looked at her and I was like, I said that, uh, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Uh, but I wrote it down because I'm sure I did at a certain point was just like, don't you deserve healthy love? Like it's a question. Um, and so it stuck with her and she was able to have like a good relationship and all the things. And that's why I hadn't seen her for a long time. Um, but that phrase sticks with me in terms of deserving healthy love. Because oftentimes we don't feel like we are worthy of that. And so worthy and deserving go hand in hand. Um, one of the things that had come up in, in my journey with, um, with my friend Teresa was um, really looking at all of the items and the things that I had let go of. Uh, I told her, like, the things that I saved are things that I cherish things that I really, really value and that bring joy to my life and that, you know, have meaning beyond their function. Um, and I was telling her that like the next kind of relationship that I want and what I think we should all strive for is to be in a relationship with ourselves first, but certainly, you know, if we choose to have a romantic partner where we feel cherished, where we feel that value and worth on a level that makes you just glow in terms of like, I have a value and function that is not just for what I do for you, but how we make each other feel. And so that idea of being cherished is really important. I used it related to stuff because I let go of everything, literally, and even in this bag, right, this lost bag, I was like, what in there did I cherish that I really value? Well, everything that I brought with me had a function, but everything that I came here and landed with, I cherish 
probably more so now because I have a lack of something else, right? And when I first kind of got here to, to dairy and, and, you know, it was like unpacking and, and I really was really focusing on the things that I don't have. Um, and it made me sad and it was like frustrating and overwhelming, but then I had to switch the mindset from that lack or scarcity to the place of abundance and really recognizing that I had power and control over the situation. And I think when we feel like we are not valuable or worthy, we sit in that lack. We sit in that scarcity mentality of I'm never going to have these things, right? I don't deserve these things. I am not worthy of these things. Um, love, respect, you know, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times that's where we'll live. That's where we'll stay. Um, but if you switch it and just be kind of a little bit, look outside of, you know, what's going on in your own head, you will be able to find it. Um, what I also tell clients and I have told clients in the past is really look at the people who are around you. And if you can't see it within yourself, which obviously that's the goal, we talk about self-love all the time. Um, but if you can look at the people who look up to you, who cherish you, who value you, do you trust them? And if you do, if you trust them, right, you trust them, they make good choices, you know, they, they are funny and they, all the things that you value in them and they value you, then you must have some worth and value, right? Um, do they treat you with respect? Do they speak to you kindly? Do they, um, you know, open the door for you or make you food or however it is that, you know, you feel seen and heard and valued, you trust them, then you got to, by default, recognize that you do have worth and value, right? Regardless of what you have been taught, regardless of what your head says, you do have at least some value there. And so that's a place to kind of start rather than living in that scarcity, lack, you know, I don't have anything start there. Right. And, and because we're human, because we do have these interactions, you know, and I'm looking at healthy love only. I'm not looking at, well, this is a person who calls every once in a while, consistent, healthy love. Right. If there's even, even if it's just, you know, every time I go to, whatever coffee place and the guy smiles at me and looks at me and, you know, says hello and remembers my name, that's worth and value. Um, so whatever it is, start to collect those a little bit at a time. And, you know, obviously our kids and, you know, if, if you've made tiny humans, they are looking at you by default that you have worth and value. Part of that is because they need you to get their needs met, but also because they don't know any different. They only know what they know from you. And so if you can start to watch how you talk to yourself in front of them, pay attention to how you're talking to them, right? Um, and, and really start to manage that. That is a way to kind of create that loop or that, you know, abundance or even just moving away from the scarcity mentality that you don't have worth and you don't have value you can move away from that and really start to collect those facts of what you actually do have, you might be surprised at what you are able to collect, right? I didn't realize I had said that to a client that she deserved healthy love. Really glad that she brought it full circle and let me know that. So that I was like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, look at you, smart girl. Um, 
oftentimes I have had clients come in and, you know, their self-esteem is on the floor and they don't, they're not able to see themselves uh, and see themselves with any worth and value. What I love is that when we start to change their self-talk, when we start to unlearn some of the things that they learned in those formative years of like, you know, early childhood, middle school, uh, <laughs> whatever messages they've gotten, when we start to turn that voice down, they start to speak to themselves in a way that defines their worth and value differently. And that's always been my goal to help clients, to help my friends, to help myself be able to do that differently. And so that's where we came up with, you know, that idea of self-love being the most important and foundational thing that will change codependency. And it's so important to be able to recognize that I don't have to do extra things to feel valuable and worthy. I just have to be, not be an asshole, but also <laughs> just be. And so that's where today's topic came from. Really great book. Again, it was Where the Crawdads Sing by Delilah Owens. Um, before that, I read Before We Were Yours, which was about uh, some little kids that grew up on a boat and they were adopted and, and all the things. I do like to listen to these stories um, that prompt and stimulate kind of where I'm, where my head's at in terms of what I'm processing. Um, my hundred days has been incredible. And as I start on the next hundred days, I continue to keep those things in mind that I value where I came from. I am really good <clears throat> at moving forward, not getting stuck. And emotions happen when you're processing so fast. But I hope that, you know, my being vulnerable and emotional and honest and all the things on the podcast, on my TikToks, in the things that I'm seeing helps you and prompts you to start to reevaluate or look at things differently so that you can get to that place where you're not doing extra things for love. You're not doing extra things to feel valuable or worthy. You just feel that way consistently. And the only way to do that is to change how you talk to yourself in your head. Because um, we all do it, and we all have an asshole in our head, regardless of where it came from, because it's not, you know, we could sit in that victim mentality of like, I didn't get all the things. Um, but you got to take ownership at a certain point of like, I didn't get all those things there, but I can give them to myself. And I can love myself better. And when you do that, it's a game changer. And you know, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot, me and my friends and you know, the people who are around me regularly. Um, but what I love is the accountability piece of like, how are you loving you better? Um, and is that the best thing for you to do? Sometimes for me, it's, it's moving slowly. Like one of the things I, um, talked about in the hundred days was rest is super important for me. And so I could get really down on myself that I didn't get up at like seven o'clock this morning and go for a run. Um, I don't know why I would do that. There's nothing for me to do at 7am. Um, but I got, I got up at noon and I went for a run and it was lovely and I came up with an idea. And so um, not everybody can do that. I recognize that. But learning how to talk to yourself differently, holding yourself accountable in that way, and then, you know, having people that reflect that back to you is super important. Um, and so when you do start to feel worthy of healthy love, you start to attract it, right? The people who see you in that way of being valuable and worthy, not for anything that you do, but for who you are. 
then you can start to reflect that back. And we are all worthy of healthy love. We are all deserving of people to see us because we're all pretty great. And I feel bad um, for that girl in middle school because she had a lot to offer, I can imagine, and I never got to know her. Um, but if you're out there, Maria, <laughs> um, I hope that you figured it out, that you are deserving of healthy love. Anyway, that's my time. So I'm going to end the live and then I'll end the podcast. Luna X2 or LX2 Codependency Coaching. You can reach me here. Uh, Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC. You can reach me on Facebook. LX2.COD.Coach at Gmail. And I will see you guys in a week. Take care. All right. That is the end of the video. And uh, I was going to end the podcast. Um, I hope you got value from that. I hope you're sharing it. I hope you're talking about LX2 codependency coaching to other people. Um, and I will be back in a week. Take care.